Hi, welcome to the Neshamas podcast. We at Neshamas are on a mission to promote mental and emotional health within our community. Among the many ways we do this is by empowerment through education. This podcast is where we get to listen to personal experiences of those who have been affected by mental illness, the pain, the struggle to get better, and today, by the grace of God, have emerged with a message of hope and healing. My name is Moshe Khanen. I am a grateful addict in recovery, and I am a certified life and addiction recovery coach. I'm here to encourage vulnerability and allow for hope to emerge from the internal journeys we share. Please join me, hear the stories of these heroes, and know that you are not alone. Hi, welcome back to the Neshamas podcast. Today we are very honored to have a special guest all the way from Carlsbad, California, Yossi Ruddle, who is Rabbi Yossi Ruddle, a shliach. And um, Yossi has, grew up in Milan, Italy. And he grew up also the son of a shliach, Anschluchus, grew up Anschluchus. And he's now 26 year old, years old, and he is uh, Baruch Hashem, is married and has two beautiful children. And he is here to share his story of his experience, unfortunately, losing his sister, who he was very close to when he was 12 years old. How that affected him and how through his journey and the work he put into his mental health, he was able to get to the point that he can actually inspire others and help others on their journey. Um, Yossi is a singer-songwriter as well, and he actually just recently released a song which describes a lot of uh, his story and his feelings uh, through grief with his sister. So I encourage you to check that out. So welcome, Yossi. Thank you so much, uh, Moish. And uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. And I, I really hope, I'm actually confident that this is going to help a lot of people. Yeah, me too. So thank you so much, Yossi. Um, I know you're taking a risk here. And um, I've also seen the benefits of people taking the risks here and sharing their stories. We literally see people, uh, we get feedback from the people who give us feedback that uh, they're seeking the help that they need because they hear in somebody else's story their own and realize that, you know, there's hope for them. So it's a beautiful gift to be able to do this. Yossi, can you please give us a general picture of what it was like? How was your relationship with your sister back in Milan? So, um, if you don't know the Ruddle family, we we grew up, we have 17, well, not we have, my parents had 17 kids. So, uh, you know, not all at once, obviously. <laughs> um, but I always grew up with a lot of siblings in the, in the house. And um, my sister was the one right after me. So I was, num- I'm number 15. She was number 16, and then my youngest sister, number 17. So it was always happening, you know, always uh, a lot of <laughs> noise and, and sharing everything. And uh, But w- most of all, it was very genuine, very healthy and, and happy uh, upbringing, um, very, very real, very 
you know, my parents raised us with a lot of love and um, very, very honest, very, very real, very genuine. And uh, my relationship with my sister was, um, I mean, I was the youngest boy, so I, I think I was pretty spoiled. And uh, my sister was, you know, like they say that after you know, after people pass away, everyone says, oh, it's only good things. But my sister was really like a, a very good kid. And uh, I had a little more trouble. <laughs> um, so I always kind of, uh, um, you know, would make, make uh, it bothered me, obviously, that she was the one after me and, and she was so good and I was, so to speak, so bad. So um, definitely after, uh, you know, she passed away, that, that caused a lot of guilt because, you know, I felt that I didn't treat her uh, as I should. And, but in general, I was, uh, yeah, we were pretty close. And again, there was that little um, contrast. I was like the troublemaker and she was like the goody-goody. Can you bring us in to what happened? Sure. So even though I was a troublemaker, I was a very innocent kid, which I don't know. I'm not sure how exactly it works together, but um, my father uh, raised us with a very deep conviction that we are not, you know, what the bad things that we do. He always made me feel, and I, I, I've done, you know, things. And what he always told me was that I know you're good. And I, you know, and he really made me feel that he believed in me and he believed in the good in, in me. So um, it was November of 2005, 2005. And uh, for some time, my sister was, was uh, um, having problems with her eyes. I think she was cross-eyed. And... Uh, we went from one doctor to the other. Some doctors didn't see anything. She said, okay, you know, just, just need uh, glasses. And then one time we, we were doing a checkup together. I'm also uh, cross-eyed. And um, we were checking her eyes. And then the doctor saw something strange. And um, being that I was only 12, you know, nobody ever told me exactly what was going on. So what ended up being was that we stayed the doctor said, basically, you have to stay in the hospital. Now, in my brain, you know, as a 12-year-old, I was like, yay, because my mother needed me to stay with her. And um, <laughs> I was like, yay, you know, we can watch TV. No, that's that's all I cared about. Um, so I was there, you know, right by the beginning. Um, and throughout, you know, once she started chemo and everything, I didn't know. All I was told was there was a growth and, uh, and yeah, you know, and uh, I remember changing, being very like open with her. Actually now, now I'm remembering a very good memory it, within that, that period of time. And um, so my family was doing rotations. Some you know, my siblings would come and stay with her for, you know, to help my parents. And uh, for some reason, one Shabbos, my parents gave me the responsibility, a 12-year-old, the responsibility to be with her for Shabbos. So they gave us, you know, all the food and chicken and kugel and this. And then 
you know, my sister and I, we, we just took the, you know, cereal and milk. That's what we ate all Shabbos. And uh, it was actually like an amazing, amazing Shabbos. It was just spent together. There was another like three-year-old girl in that room. And it was just, yeah, we just laughed and we had, that, we had a lot of fun. That was very nice. So um, after a few months, she started chemo and then she lost her hair. And I was very cool about it. Like I, I even told her, like, yeah, come on, show me, you know, just to make her feel good. And uh, obviously my heart sank when she showed me. But I was very cool about it. Then, um, so throughout around Pesach time, she started getting better. And um, she started, she went back to school. And, you know, it seemed like things were going better. And then, uh, yeah, June, June 6th, um, it was Sunday night. And suddenly, like, they tell us that, oh, start saying Tehillim. Um, you know, for us, it was just like, okay, another, you know, La Natsa, you know, you don't, you don't think, you don't think too much about it. Um, yeah, I was actually watching a movie. And, uh, you know, I said, I said to Helim, and then the next day, which was a Monday, I wake up at 830 and I'm like, you know, why are we going to school? And my mother said, um, well, it's, it's not a good day to go to school because we have a, a funeral to go to. Hmm. So I put one and one together. And I remember the first thing I did. I went to uh, my room and I, I looked up and I remember very vividly, I said like, why? It was, you know, straight at Hashem and I was like, why? You know, things seemed like they were getting better and, you know, not expected. And um, yeah, it was very, it was shocking. And then... Um, my, I started crying, and then my sister came, she, the older one. <laughs> I, I still, I laugh about it, but because, you know, I was 12, she was 14. So we were going through, you know, the teenage, uh, you know, fighting and everything. And she just came in. She's like, Yossi, why are you crying? <laughs> I just said it like straight up. Lazy died. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much the the you know, the vivid memories of right when it happened. And then, and then honestly, after that, I don't, I don't recall being like, oh, oh, I was depressed all the time or I was, uh, you know, I didn't have a will to live. I, I never thought of what exactly was going through, what I was going through as a child, as a 12-year-old. I always thought, you know, okay, I'm just uh, just another kid. And, um, you know, thank God I, I have a very solid uh, support system, my family, a very strong group of friends. So I went through yeshiva, I think at least, you know, very um, normal. I learned. I didn't like to learn. <laughs> for, But, I, you know, I, I thought it was very normal. And uh, I still think I was, um, but it was only 
you know, now that I went through therapy last year as a 25-year-old, and now that I published a song about it, I, I realized so many things, mm-hmm. so many things along the way that show me what I was going through, which was very, extremely eye-opening. Mm-hmm. For example, a few months ago, I went to a uh, teen suicide prevention. And it was so incredible to when they one of the questions they were asking at the at this um, event was, would you understand someone that wouldn't want to live? Would you understand? Would you like uh, empathize with someone that that just doesn't want to live? And for me. You know, obviously they had different ways of everyone answering. Basically, they had papers and then they would switch the papers so nobody knew who answered what. But for me, it was like, oh, yeah, for sure. I can totally relate to that. And once I realized that all the other rabbis and and rabbitsons that were there, for them, it wasn't so obvious. I went back to my 13 and 14-year-old self and I remember being like, I just wish I, I don't wake up. One, one morning. And now I realized the reason was because I was so full of pain that I just, I said, okay, I rather, you know, I didn't want to jump in the train, but I said, you know, I, I have so much pain. Hashem, just, you know, just put, take that away. So that was a huge realization, which is very, a very eye-opening and you know, it's great to learn that about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I learned that it, to to be able to put your pieces back together, you have to realize that you're broken. And for the longest time, I never I never realized that. And um, yeah, so therapy has been very very healing and helpful for me. But what's what's been Meaning therapy was the, a good beginning to start healing. What do you think kept you going in those early in those early years? My upbringing, like mm-hmm. the the I would say the you know Kabbalah soil, which means that just even though I was really angry at God at Hashem, I was very angry at Him. But at the same time, I knew deep inside that he has his good reasons, even though I really didn't like them. I didn't like what he did, but I knew that he has a plan. And um, yeah, it took me it took me a lot of a lot of uh, work on my part to really come to terms with that. You know, mm-hmm. to really um, kind of go beyond the the God that took away my sister. Understanding that God is beyond that. You know, I say, what's very powerful about writing a song, that what's unique about this song is, I only now, by publishing this song, I realized that I started writing music only be, because of my sister. Mm. I started making music because, in fact, my first song was about my sister because 
So now I feel like publishing the song is kind of closing a cycle. You know, I started music because to cope with those with that pain, and now I'm publishing a song. You know, kind of closing a cycle, and and you know, um, so that that's that's very very helpful. How did your anger towards God express itself in behaviors? I don't think my anger per se. Um, I'm sure it affected my behavior, but I felt that um, more like the trauma, more like the, which I understood, like with the help of the therapist, I understood that trauma is very powerful. It's, it's these really intense energy that just shatters because it's too great for you. So... I think, I don't know if the, I would say the anger with, with the trauma, all that energy definitely led me to um, unhealthy behaviors. Um, I, I remember that I, I used to cry, you know, um, definitely in the beginning, um, my first year of yeshiva, um, when I was 14, I would cry a lot. And, um, yeah, but I never, I never, it's funny. Like I would cry a lot, but I thought it was, okay, that's normal. You know, all kids cry sometimes. And, um, I think, um, yeah. Did you always cry alone? Did anybody ever see you cry? So that, yeah, that's a thing. I, I never... Um, but the first year when I was in yeshiva, it was a a small program just with friends. It was a program in Italy. So, you know, all the kids knew me, but once I went overseas to Israel and and other places, I hid it very well because, you know, whenever it would come up, come up in conversations, I would always say, Oh, how many are you in the family? Oh, we're 17. Oh yeah. Who's after you? Oh yeah. Two sisters. I never... I never said anything about it. And now I know why, because it's very hard to acknowledge or to show that you're broken. It's very hard. I never, for the longest time, I never accepted that part of me that was broken. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not nice to show someone that you're broken. It, If you're not comfortable with it, then, you know, it shows you that you're less or that you're, you know, you're messed up. So... Yeah, I always, I never spoke about it. And if I did, I got extremely uncomfortable, um, especially in that age that you're still figuring out who you are, you know, in your teenage years. So I always hit it. And uh, and even my music, honestly, it was never, I never showed anything to anyone. It was very private. Um, yeah, that, that was, and like my first, ever song that I ever recorded, um, which uh, thanks to a, a friend of mine, Chani Grumblat, he, I was in Argentina at the time, I was 20 years old, and uh, he, I, I, sell, I sold him a song, and I sang in it, and what's interesting is that song, we speak about, you know, I, we kind of uh, published the song under like talking about the Holocaust and talking about how you know how you remember the past, but really, 
<laughs> this is again another realization that I got recently is that if you look at the words that I say, things like, you know, from the moment that I, I don't see your smile anymore, my heart laughs no more. So you can say, oh yeah, it was about the Holocaust. We don't see the people anymore. But really, I knew that it was about my sister. Mm -hmm. So the music was always connected to my sister. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that, I, I think also that uncomfortableness with, with yourself also leads to other, you know, disconnections as not feeling your self-worth, not, not feeling that you matter because you're always, you know, you're uncomfortable. So, um, yeah, that was a big, a big, uh, realization that I just got recently because of therapy, because of, uh, of my work, you know, it's not just therapy. It's after therapy, you have to, really apply I meaning I, I I therapy is a great beginning to start understanding what the trauma is and what what you really went through. But then you know I just want to say like a disclaimer about therapy. Obviously I didn't go to therapy until you know very late in life. Because uh, I thought therapy is only for messed up people. <laughs> and I guess either you realize that you're messed up or, or you realize that, no, therapy is, is an amazing uh, way to help yourself because, you know, I, I can't heal by myself. That, that was the, uh, the biggest realization. I need help. And it's okay. It doesn't make me any less because I need help. It's just actually, it makes you more. It makes me more. It makes me a healthier person, more mature person to recognize that I need help. So you, I see, I seek the help. But the the trouble of therapy is that if you're too vulnerable, then sometimes the therapist can, you know, the therapist at the end of the day is a human being. And not everything they say is 100% what you're supposed to do. So you have to have that healthy balance of being vulnerable, but at the same time, keep, you know, certain boundaries that if you, if he says something that you, you don't like, you don't have to take it. Or, you know, I think for me, it was the therapist can tell me what happened, explain to me what happened and how it happened and how it affected me. But for the future, not everything is going to say that, you know, I'm going to take. So I think it's, that's a, a very important thing uh, about therapy. Can you bring this and into that experience? If it's not too personal? No, no, no. It's um, what, what uh, the, the technique that he, he worked with me, which for me was, it was a very, very powerful is something called EMDR, mm -hmm. which basically that the trauma is basically a you know this incredible energy that just shatters everything. And if you don't, how do you put the pieces back together? So you have to. So I needed to go to the deepest pain. Basically, go back to that to the trauma. 
to the source of the trauma and and that's where you pick up the pieces as a 26 year old so to speak i went back to my 12 year old self mm-hmm. that has had a lot of questions and it was basically going having a conversation with my 12 year old mm-hmm. and it was very hard because it was like a fight between the conscious and the self the subconscious my consciousness was saying no this is painful don't go there my subconsciousness was saying there's a lot of stuff in here that <laughs> needs to get out and it was very painful and uh but it was worth it because i was able to really very clearly see go back to that moment of why which moment that, do you that's go the back first to The the moment that I went back to is interestingly, it's not something that I saw, but the probably the most painful part was um when I heard that my mother came to to the hospital after she my Razie already died. And she she hugged my sister and basically, you know, she didn't want to let her go. Mm. And I guess the reason it's it's so powerful is because it's really that that um you know us humans our limitation and our human condition that we don't want to let the soul go. Mm. We we it hurts. It hurts so much and yeah that was probably the the hardest thing because you know that's exactly how i felt mm-hmm. that i you know it it until you you start healing it doesn't help and this is something i say in the song what i was saying you know before in the song i i say i started writing the song 5 years ago you know way before i started therapy and just I just only had the chorus. And all I was saying was basically I was angry at Hashem. And I was saying, Yeah, I know you can hear me, sister. Yeah, I, I know you can hear, you know, because you know, souls can hear everything, but I want to hear the answers. Discover the lost pieces of my puzzle. I know that I can't judge God by something, you know, the fact that he took away my sister because I only see a few pieces of my puzzle. But at the same time, I don't care. You know, I don't care that you can hear me. I don't care that, you know, oh, don't judge God because, you know, you can't see the whole picture. I want to see the whole picture. I want to understand. I want to, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to have an answer. And, and then I say, um, why do questions fall like teardrops on an endless dune? I felt, that my questions just fell on this desert, endless desert dune, just poof, you know, it falls. Nobody says anything. Nobody answers me anything. And so that was very, a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was bothered by the fact that I, I had, I asked why and nobody answered. Once I started therapy and once I started understanding Clearly, 
I spoke to my 12-year-old self and I said, hey, you know, you're asking why. And I, I get it. It's, it's painful. It, it hurts. And it's not fair that Hashem just took your sister away without, you know, your permission, so to speak. But you know what? You can't understand. And not only you can't understand, but you, the more you want to, the, the, as long as you want to understand, you'll never be able to really heal. And what's amazing about, you know, after I started therapy, I was able to finish the song. And in the song, I say, possibly the most important part of the song, I say, now I know that letting go won't turn you into stone. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how as soon as you let go of the answer to your question, all of a sudden your what you really want from the answer comes. What you're th what you're hoping, and I, I'm just relating to this because of I, I know that this was constantly coming up in conversation after I, I mean I talk about this a lot. My brother-in-law Shua Polanski, after he passed away, there was a lot of like, why would God and why would he do this? He's such a good guy. And how could he do this after all the tefillahs? And what Rabbi Simon Jacobson explained to my sister-in-law at the time was that the answer is, is the healing is not going to come from the answer. The healing is not going to come from the answer to the question of why. You can't answer an intellectual question to an emotion. You can't give an intellectual answer to an emotional question. And as soon as we let go of the question, the answer comes, the healing comes. Of course, right. so of course this the 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 question is still there, but the healing is able to be there even though the question is there. So that's very right. very powerful. Right. So I I for 10 years I never visited my my sister's grave. And, um, yeah, you know, every yard site, I would think about it. I, if I didn't cry, I would make myself cry. You know, at least, you know, at least I should feel bad. But, but, um, what changed after 10 years, I mean, now I realize after therapy and after healing and obviously healing, like you're saying, healing never stops. You know, you always heal more. Now that I, I published the song and people are telling me, oh wow, it's so amazing what you did, it it it's 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 hard <laughs> because now the song is is out there and you know I'm I'm it's it sounds counterintuitive, but the fact that you show yourself your brokenness to everyone, that that puts the pieces together. But it's you know, the healing never stops. The healing will come only when Mashiach comes. But I, I, what, what I say in the song that now I know that letting go won't turn you into stone. I thought if I don't, if I don't go to the grave, then that means she didn't die. You know the five steps of of uh, of grief, denial. You know I told I told myself, hey, if I don't go to the grave, then you know basically, in some way, she didn't die. And if I would go to the grave, then basically it would mean that I'm, I'm letting her die. But the truth is, 
until you don't accept it, until, until I didn't accept my sister's death, I wasn't able to, to, until I wasn't able to let go, I was basically not letting her die. And in a sense, once I learned to accept it, to say, you know what? I don't understand. And, and guess what? I can grow without an answer. Not only that, I will never grow. I will never get an answer. And therefore, no, I'm not going to say I will never. Because I believe that ultimately we will have the answer. But right now, the way things are, I can't understand. And once I, I was able to understand that if I let go of seeking an answer, I say in the song, um, you, you can't heal a wound if you expect a reason. You can't. It hurts. And as humans, we always want to understand. And, and it, we think it's going to help us if we understand. You can't. And um, once I learned to let go, I gave her new life. Now I can speak about her. Now I can, I can tell her about, uh, you know, speak to my kids about her. Now I'm proud that I have a daughter named after her. And now, honestly, just yesterday, I spoke to my to my sister, you know, neshama to neshama. I I never did that before. And was uh, it's amazing. It's so it's touching amazing Yossi. how yeah and uh I think it, that's pro- possibly the hardest part of the healing process is to to have the courage to to say I can't understand and uh, instead of saying oh I'm so weak that I can't understand no God is greater than that and as much as it hurts, you you let go, you accept that you can't understand. And as I say in the song, I can grow without answers. And that's the that's the ultimate um yeah, that's the ultimate step of healing. And uh yeah. Well what got you to the point? Or what was the few days around the time that you finally went to visit your sister's cave? What what led me to go? Mm-hmm. Well, I I remember the night before. It was the tenth year of her yard site, and. The night before, I just, um, I remember I, I started writing a song and uh, I spoke to my sister. You, s- um, you spoke to her then? That, oh, your older sister? Yeah, yeah, I spoke to my older sister that was with Razy, um, the whole throughout the whole six months. So she, you know, is the most, um, she, yeah, she was the closest, you know, throughout the whole, the whole, uh, period of her sickness and her death 
And um, I cried a lot. And I I think I accepted it to a certain degree because it was years before I, I went to therapy. But I just, I accepted it in, in, in a small way. And I just went. I went to... I went to her grave, but I was there with my parents and with my oldest sister. So I, I, I didn't feel comfortable, you know, speaking to her. And, uh, and even when I went two years later with my family, with my wife and my son, I still, I wasn't, it was before therapy. So I, I, I wasn't comfortable enough to speak, uh, to speak to Razy and to just say how I feel and even joke, you know, just talk um you know what's going on and and uh, how you're doing seems like there I was just, a a certain like a protective shield that you had um you wouldn't you wouldn't you had all these feelings but you it was too risky or it didn't feel safe to to really let it go let it be expressed. yeah yeah i i i was uh yeah, I was um I was not I didn't have the courage to really face it. You know, I I felt that okay, it's enough to to be sad or sometimes and uh at the arts I just feel bad, you know, do something which now I understand, you know, it might sound uh you know, maybe negative, but in some way it was a little selfish of me to to not you know face it up front and not to to grief um properly which really means to start healing because if you think also about if i th- if i had to think about Razy, my sister she's also in pain because i'm in pain so it's it's healing for her too to see that i'm happy Meaning it's very important to, this is something I'm getting to to feel better and, and to, I'm appreciating it now more. I just saw it in a, just now, my, my sister, another sister, we're, we're 17. So when I say sister, it can mean, you know, many of them. But um, one of my sisters was just telling me that, you know, she heard the song and it was very, obviously very emotional. And uh, she showed me a letter of the Rebbe, very powerful about grief. And, you know, it's very important to think also about the soul of, of, the, the, of the departed. You know, I, I should not only think about myself, my grief and my pain, but also of my, my sister's pain and my sister's joy. She is so happy when I heal, when I take the courage and and heal because she you know she also feels that it's obviously it's not her fault but she also feels bad for me that i'm stuck in my in my grief and stuck in my in my pain so the more i work on it the more i'm i'm happy and the more i work on on healing the more the happier raises neshama is going to be happy so it's also a step in in you know in in living more selflessly to to think hey she wants me to be happy and that's the best thing that you can do for her other than 
obviously doing good things in her honor and memory, doing mitzvahs, but also just being happy and being productive. That makes her so happy. Can I challenge that just from the perspective of somebody who is in that deep pain? And it's almost like, or at least, you know, they, they could have a claim of, I can't afford, I can't afford to not be selfish right now. I don't have the emotional capacity to think of anybody else. Do you have any feedback to that? Oh, for sure. I, I, uh, I have been, I've been selfish for 12 years and, uh, it takes maturity to recognize that the more selfless I'm going to get, the better I'll feel. You know, we have this human condition of, you know, guilt that tells us it's, it's a kind of a, um, like a self-defeating mechanism that we say, okay, if you feel bad, if I feel bad, that's good. If I don't feel bad, then there's something wrong with me. So like how could you not feel bad? Your your sister just passed away, an innocent kid. Exactly. Right, and and if you if you're gonna start healing, then you're gonna take away some of that feeling bad, and that's no, that's not good. How dare you? And right, so it definitely takes. Um, Maturity, it takes, and you know what? I'll, I'll say, you know, you have to be selfish in the beginning. Be selfish all the way. And, um, you know, that's how Hashem wired us, and we have to be selfish in the beginning. But at some point, you should realize that for your own good, meaning you could be selfish in a more positive way and say, you want to be healthier, you want to be happier, you want to be more productive, you want to have a more meaningful life, so then let go. Let go a little bit of that. Don't call it selfishness. Let go of that pain. Let go of that anger. Let go of that denial. Let go of that those chains that limit you. It's okay. It can take years, you know, it doesn't, you know, you don't have, you don't have a goal that, oh, when, once I get there, then I healed. Healing is, is a, a never ending process. And the more you heal, the better, but tell yourself, obviously, um, right after the effect, that's why the Torah tells us to, you know, there's a, a year of you know, first seven days and then 30 days and then a year because the Torah embraces that grief, embraces that selfishness. But then at some point, you don't have to go there, but tell your selfishness that you're going to feel better if you're going to learn how to let go, if you're going to learn how to heal. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you're going to feel better. And once you're going to feel better, you're going to get out a little bit out of that of that dark cave that's that's limiting you once you're going to have a little bit of more of that light of those colors in your life 
you're going to get to a realization that ultimately this is not just better for you, but also better for, for the soul of your dear one. And, and back at you, if you know that, that, that if I know that Daisy now is happier because I released a song, because I'm healing, because I'm using my experience to grow and to help other people, she's really proud of me and she's really happy. Hmm. And that makes me happy. Wow. And what's beautiful is that there's like this inner knowing. I know that my sister is proud of me. And I know that right now she's more free and 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 happier than she was before I did this, before I released it. Yeah, that that yeah, that takes it takes time because in the beginning again. When you're not right after, I remember the first thing my sister said was when she came home Monday morning, right after, uh, not right after, hours after she passed away, she said, oh, she's in a happier place. And I remember as a 12-year-old saying, don't give me that. I don't care she's in a happier place. I want her here. But now, obviously, it still hurts. But now I know that, um, you know, that's the, the beauty of Mashiach, that I know that she's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that sense, I can't wait. And, um, but yeah, in the, in it, now that I, I learned how to let go, I, I was able to grow. I was able to communicate my feelings, meaning to go from no, not telling anyone to release a song for the whole world to see, it's it's a huge step for me. I wonder, this may be just a play with words, but you're talking about releasing a song and you're using the word release. Like something you held on to and now you're releasing. Is there any significance in regards to this fact that you're releasing the song and how it affects you emotionally? I can definitely talk for myself. I mean, everyone releases music and in some way everyone is releasing a certain feeling, a certain vibe. But for me, I definitely uh, agree with that. Yes, this is releasing. It's like taking all of that anger, all that pain and making sense of it and being able to communicate it. So I'm taking all of that energy that for the longest time was trapped and unfortunately sometimes it came out the wrong way, now I'm able to channel it. And not only to channel it, but to channel it in a good, in, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, you know, I respect myself, myself more and I'm more comfortable with myself because of this, because I faced my... uh myself, my, my fears and my pain. And I know this may sound like a silly question, but why release it? Why share it with the world? Um, I was inspired by so it, I, I think it's two things. <laughs> 
One is I had a song that was unfinished, <laughs> but really, you know, it, it wasn't just an unfinished song. It was this energy that was stuck, so to speak, in this song. And I knew that at some point I will have to finish this song. Once I I went to therapy and I, I you know, I think talking about it is, is a big part of healing. So not only I, I, I went to therapy, but also, also I spoke about it to my family. I, I taught about it in my classes, you know, as a, as a teacher and a rabbi. I spoke to people about it. I spoke about pain. I spoke about suffering very openly. So then I was able to, to finish that song. So obviously, once I was able to finish the song, then even though it wasn't easy, but the next step was releasing it. But also, I was inspired by this um, this uh, book that spoke about you know uh, music and spoke about artists, uh, how you know how they should uh, promote themselves, and he he spoke a lot about being vulnerable. And he spoke about, you know, people nowadays want to connect with with an artist. People, enough with the, you know, looking beautiful and the pop artist. People nowadays want want the real thing. So, so thanks to therapy, th- uh, I was able to finish the song, and this learning about this that that that's what the the world wants, so to speak. Or that's what people are looking for for the real thing. Uh, it definitely gave me the last push to really go about it, and not only go about it like that, but also make a video with pictures, so you know it's even more emotional. Um, and ultimately, you know, it took also um, I, working a lot with the, the DJ with uh, my producer. Israel Dreham to find exactly the right, the right instruments, the right set, you know, the right vibe of the song. I had one, I the song was one way. We completely changed it and uh, we made it, I think, the best. It has exactly what I wanted to to share. It's like Which really it seems like is, it, is a feeling that you have inside. And if you want everybody to hear the authentic feeling then if it's going to be expressed in a certain art you want the art to actually express it as much as possible yeah 100% that's why for the lo- you know for a long time i was debating if i should the, the song is called dry tears and the idea is that you know we say time heals time doesn't heal anything you have to heal time just covers up but it's it doesn't heal. Mm-hmm. We we have to actively seek help, and I I I've definitely I'm a, I'm a proof that time doesn't heal. In fact, you know it, I I'm not gonna say maybe I can say that time makes makes things worse. Possibly, definitely you know getting married and having responsibilities and having a kid doesn't help, or it helps indirectly in the sense. That you really have to face yourself, mm-hmm. you know. I w- once I went out on Schliches and I started really facing myself and facing my 
my self-worth and you know why am I here? And do I really matter? All these really hard questions I had to go and figure out who you know who who am I? And part of who I am is that that uh broken brokenness that's part of me. And so that was a big big part of my uh healing and I I decided to call it dry tears to say yeah the tears are there they got dry with time but the song is is also very hopeful it's very I say I can grow without answers and then the ending is like you can hear in the song that I'm almost crying mm-hmm. but I really say that you know I I don't Hashem don't dry my tears you know don't I want I don't want just all I want is no more. That's my like cry. And I, I just say, Hashem, you know, thank you so much for all these, for understanding my journey and everything. But just just give us the the ultimate healing. We've we've had enough. And we just Yeah, we don't wanna no more tears, please. And we just one Moshiach. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Yossi. Yossi, is there any um, any last words you would like to share with the people who are listening? Yes. The first thing I want to say is that to be successful is to be comfortable with yourself. So facing your fears, facing your pain, facing your anger, and any, any trouble that you, f- you face in life is, is going to make you a better person, is going to make you happier. So you know, keep that in mind, even though it's painful, but it's, you're going to be, you're gonna, the more you, you're comfortable with yourself, the happier you'll be and the more productive you'll be. And the I think the most important lesson that I learned through the whole healing process is that perfect doesn't mean that you have no darkness. Perfect means that you accept your darkness and you learn how to transform it. So I learned that whatever the trauma brought with me, all the unhealthy behaviors, um, all, that's, all that package, all that darkness that I, I will probably face all my life, it doesn't make you bad or it doesn't make, it doesn't mean that, oh, you know, you're not, you're not good enough. Look at it as this is your journey. We all have different journeys. We all have different challenges. Some people have to deal with uh, addiction. Some people have to deal with grief. Some people have to deal with, you know, all kinds of, of different painful experiences, abuse. We all have our journey. Don't look at it as this is what makes me bad or makes me messed up. Embrace it in the sense, accept it. This is not my darkness. This is my journey. What would you suggest or what was your experience of what's the first steps uh, 
that somebody could take to start accepting and healing and transforming. Realize that you're broken. Recognize, you know, you're... Just accept the fact that you're broken. And, and it's okay. And definitely the next step is seek help. Uh, go to a therapist. You definitely want to find the right one. You know, have a support system. And uh, the more you talk, the more, the more it's, you, you accept it, the more mm. you, you're comfortable with it. So if you want to put the pieces back together, you have to first realize you're broken. That's beautiful. Thank you, Yassi. Thank you so much for sharing your soul with us. And um, may your sister raise Nishama have an Aliyah, the ultimate one, the one where she can be reunited with you, your family, and all of us. Amen. Thank you so much for giving me, you know, the platform and opportunity to uh, to do this. And uh, thank you so much for having, you know, the for doing this. Any 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 interview and uh, everything. It's it's an amazing conversation that the world needs, and especially our world needs. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please share your feedback by emailing us at podcast at neshamas.org. We hope you'll be back for the next episode of the Neshamas podcast. This is Moshe Khanen wishing you a healthy and a meaningful day.